episode 5, Walking with Marlene, part 1. In this episode, Camino Man hits the road again and meets up with the person whom he will walk with all the way to Santiago de Compostela. Day 24, Aviles to Soto de Luena, 38 kilometres. I woke up early as I had wanted to. In fact, I woke when one of the early risers got up, or at least I thought he was an early riser. I quietly got down from the top bunk, grabbed the paper sheet and pillow slip that the, from the bed that every Adelberger gives you, placed them in the bin silently and gently eased my pack from under the bunk until the guy who I thought was an early riser walked back into the room and went back to bed. He'd just gotten up to go to the toilet. I checked my phone. It was four in the morning, but it was light outside. No, that was just the outside light in the courtyard that had been left on. Okay, I was awake now. So I went outside, had breakfast and waited in the foyer for it to get light properly. Waiting, waiting. And somehow I had a nap. But I was woken by an actual early riser slamming the dormitory door shut. I looked outside. It was light enough to start walking. It was funny meeting people coming home from a night out as I paced through the streets of Aviles. Soon enough, though, I was out of town and heading up a hill. Apparently, I would ascend and descend over 600 metres this day. It was brighter, and I was happy to be walking. The guidebook had warned that the arrows would disappear that day, or there were old arrows and new arrows, and, well, the arrows did disappear at an intersection. I backtracked for a little bit, but the arrows seemed to lead me back to the intersection. I didn't really know where I was. Do I go left, right, or straight ahead? I went straight. It was wrong. I came back. I went right. I thought it was going to be another wrong turn until I asked a local who looked at me strangely and then signalled for me to keep going. He was right. One of those big blue and yellow Camino de Santiago Thin radio cultural europeo signs appeared on the side of the road. I was on the right path, but I was on the side of a four-lane highway going up and over a large hill, and I couldn't make out where I was from my guidebook. I had missed a turn somewhere, but eventually, as I came down the other side of the hill, I found the yellow arrows and rejoined the way at Soto del Baco and crossed the Ria de San Esteban. I made my way up the hill on the other side, past this older Italian man and through a suburb, stopping in a small park to buy a baked tuna empanada at this little shop. I remember catching up to the Italian man again as he stopped to take a photo of a cat. He snapped his shot and thanked me for stopping. But we didn't walk together. I continued on my own past some wonderful large old mansions on large estates until I reached the Albergue de Peregrinos at Soto de Luina. The sign on the door said to, uh, come in, take a bed and use the facilities. We come from 1900 to register. I did, again washing some clothes, and then walked to the local bar where I chatted briefly with two European women who were getting ready to leave. I wasn't sure why they wanted to continue, but they did. I got to use the Wi-Fi at the bar and received a message from Alan. He was in Oviedo, exhausted, and had met no one that day. I was feeling a little the same. I looked up a little information and messaged him back. Remember you asked me about the size of France compared to Australia? Well, Australia is about 14 times bigger than France. 
Meanwhile, the population of Australia is 23 million people compared to the 44 million people who live in France. There was no one else in the bar. And I was about to return to the albergue when Marlin and Arnaud arrived. So I joined them for something to eat and drink. And then Arnaud said he was continuing. You what? Uh, we walked 90 kilometres today. You what? 90 kilometres. Uh, uh, not me. Uh, but Marlin, it will be good. You should. Uh, no, Arnaud. He looked a little disappointed. Arno was an intriguing young man who hadn't been home in a number of years. At least I, I thought that's what he said. I remember at Via Horemes I told him to go home and visit his mother. I didn't know if he would. Uh, by the way, Steve, yes, Marlin, all of your French impersonations sound the same. What can I say? Je n'ai pas le pas très bien le français. Marlin and I waved Arno goodbye and went back to the albergue. I was happy. I was a little drunk. And I had company. The crazy Australian kicked in with the extra alcohols. I tried to talk with people. Firstly, with two young German women who seemed a bit confused. No, I'm from Australia. And then with two young Polish women. Australia. They all thought I was a little Austrian. No, we thought you were strange and a little funny. They laughed. I was just thankful they spoke a little English and we could talk about the Camino. I was always very thankful for people who spoke English and I wished I had learned at least one other language properly when I was at school. Day 25. Soto de Luina to Carnero. 27 kilometres. The next day, Marlin and I walked together and we were going to stick to the main route, a mountain route that took us away from the coast. We could have stayed closer with the Bayota route, but I didn't check my guidebook. And yet we must have been near the coast as we ended up walking down a path where the arrows directed us to go following a creek to this amazing pebbled beach. The stones were piled so high on the beach that the creek couldn't meet the sea and pooled in this clear, inviting lagoon. I thought about a swim. It was idyllic. But we kept walking. And we crossed paths with the Polish women who giggled at my crazy Australian references as to why we walked faster up hills. I was crazy. And now that I was walking with Marlin, and we got on pretty well, and as you do, we started to share some stories. At first, she told me about her research into the medicinal and psychological benefits of psychotropic drugs. I don't remember what I told her, but... She must have felt comfortable with me as I did with her because we started to share trauma stories. I told her about my troubles and she told me about a story about something that was still troubling her, about being in Jordan and being in a taxi and the driver tried to rape her. I was quiet as it made me feel like my troubles weren't troubles at all. I don't know how she got out of the taxi, but she went to the police and they brought in the driver and tried to sort things out. They told Marlin that if she pressed charges, she'd have to stay in Jordan for some time. But at the time, Marlin just wanted to go home. Who wouldn't? So she didn't press charges. And when the police suggested that she and the taxi driver should hug and make up, she went along with it. 
In the following three days till she left the country, she was under the protection of the tourist police. And when her host family dropped her at the airport, the taxi driver was there. He couldn't get past the extra military officers that were put on duty that night. The police knew she would be there that evening and wanted to make sure she made it to her flight. You know, the driver contacted her and wanted to stay in contact with her. But Marlene would have nothing to do with him. So he threatened that he would send people after her and her family. I looked at her as we walked. I could feel her pain. She talked about how she felt her life was constantly under threat and she became suspicious of any Middle Eastern-looking man. Later, she'd had an anxiety attack when a parcel delivery man rang the bell for her apartment in Prague where she was studying because he looked Middle Eastern. Marlene said that she didn't really get a handle on it until she was talking with one of her mother figures in South America where she was conducting research, who was also a counsellor and who suggested that she talk to the man in a guided meditation, that she pretend he was sitting on a chair in the room and tell him what she had wanted to tell him but wasn't allowed to say in Jordan. It helped. I thought about this, and that night I wrote a letter to Jesus, my attacker, and sent it to my friend Greg to read. It really helped me. We stopped walking that day when we found an albergue underneath the Hotel Restaurante in uh, Canero, where one wasn't listed in my guidebook. Marlene and I had the menu del dia for lunch, typical Asturian dishes and wine. It was a huge meal, especially with the wine, and we enjoyed our conversation. I told her about Violette. I even sent a photo of Marlene and I at lunch to the beautiful French woman, even sharing it with Alain later, who said she looked a... A little like Violette. No, not to me. But Marlene is a good-looking woman as well. Day 26. Guerrero to La Caridad. 41 kilometres. On the next day, we were walking through all sorts of places and landscapes, immediately up a steep hill, through the woods, across the highway, then back onto smaller roads. A little further on, we came to Luaca, a picturesque small fishing village where it's white and grey buildings are packed in tightly around a protected rectangular harbour. You can see it all from the hill as you come into town. The way down was steep and slow. Marlene was having problems with her knees. And we stopped somewhere here for breakfast at a little cafe full of locals. I thought we were a sight with our walking clothes and backpacks and, well, we were a contrast to the locals. The way out of town was like the way in, steep and slow but not slow enough to stop us from passing two people pushing their mountain bikes up the hill. Marlene and I were machines walking up hills. It was an uneventful walk that day. We stopped for lunch at a bar, and in the afternoon we reached La Shana, a new private albergue that Marlene found on a nap, just around the corner from the Albergue de Peregrinos in La Caridad. For some reason, the Polish women came to albergue. They wanted to stamp on their credentials, Steve. Did they? Did they really, Marlene? Are you sure it wasn't because they knew the crazy Australian was here? Oh, precious. And by the way, why does my voice sound like this? I really can't do a Norwegian accent. Why couldn't you be Irish? I'm really good at an Irish accent. Yeah, you crazy Australian. Day 27. 
La Caridad to Vegadero, 26 kilometres. Today, Marlin and I were back on the road and on the side of the road and back past the Polish women. We walked, crisscrossing paths with them as they were walking slowly and I don't know what we were doing, just following the arrows. The brunette Polish woman was having problems with her knee. Marlin was having problems with both of her knees on the downhill slopes. On the upslopes and level paths, Marlin was a marvel, using her walking sticks and with her headphones in, grooving along to her music. After walking beside large main roads the day before on the way into La Caridad, when Marlin and I spotted a sign for Del Norte Historico that wasn't listed in my guidebook, but which we had seen some reference to before, we decided to head inland and get away from the main roads. We found out later that the official Camino del Lote through the River Dea only came into being some 40 years ago when a bridge was built there. It seemed like the right thing to do, to follow the Del Norte Historico. We were happy to be walking through forests again, through small villages in the countryside. Even though we did get a little lost, we asked a local at one point for directions, and we kept walking past houses with rabid dogs behind large fences barking at us. Come on, Pataglino. What have you got? Nothing. That's right. Keep walking. Keep walking. I was a little worried at one house when a dog started barking ferociously and there was no fence. We found out later that he probably had an electronic collar that zapped him if he went past the sensor line. Oh, come on, Pataglino. I just you to cross that line. Come on, cross that line. I double dare Oh, come on. Cross the line, please cross the line. We stopped for lunch at this new albergue. I say lunch, but it was a quick drink stop, really, at the bar. I had a rattler and we got walking again in what I thought was the right direction, but that it wasn't. The owner called out to us and put us on the right path, suggesting we shouldn't have stopped for a drink after all. And as we moved away from the coast, we encountered more hills. It wasn't good for Marlin. We stopped and she applied some Voltron that I gave her. We made a slow descent into Vegadea that day, as Marlin's knees, despite the Voltron, was, were more painful. We found a wonderful albergue called the Mar e Montana, run by Lillian from Brazil, who served as a great vegetarian meal that night, followed by these delicious biscuits that, as I said so much, how I liked them, she gave me a whole bag to take with me on the way the next day. Oh, and I met Angel again from, my, from way back before Bilbao, who we had breakfast with the next day. But it was here in Vegadeo that I finally got a local SIM card for my phone and that I also convinced Marlin that we should have a rest day and get the bus to Mondanero. To get there, we would have to catch a bus to Rivadeo and then another bus to Mondanero. It meant we would skip the next two stages to Montonedo via Trabara, but with her troublesome knees and my new blisters, it was worth it. Day 28. Brigadeo to Montonedo. We got an early bus, and when we were approaching the bus station in Rivadeo, I had this strange thought. Wouldn't it be funny if the Polish women were at the bus stop when we got there? It wasn't such a strange thought. As the bus pulled into the bus terminal, they were there. I could see them, and when the bus stopped, I leapt down the stairs to give them my crazy Australian welcome. Hello! They were laughing and could not believe it. They were getting the next bus to Lorenza, 
as the brunette Polish woman was having a problem with her knee and they decided to have a rest day. The same bus would continue to Mondanero and it was either catch this bus or take another in six hours' time. Marlene and I decided it would be best to keep going and purchase tickets for the bus to Mondanero. We chatted with the Polish women. I still don't know their names until they got off the bus in Lorenzo. I waved and blew them kisses, which they accepted and blew back. We continued on and arrived in Mondanero. The, the bus terminal was a, a little out of the centre of town and it was trashed. I hadn't seen any vandalism in Spain before. After a bit of looking, we found the local Albrega de Peregrinos. It was on a hill and gave us a magnificent view of the town and the valley. We found a bed and the police came to collect our money later. Yes, the police. In Galicia, because that's where we were now, the local government provides low-cost albergues and, in this instance, the police collect the money. We found a little supermercado, grabbed some supplies and then headed into the main plaza where we grabbed a drink and explored on our own. I went to the 13th century cathedral and convinced the young female attendant that I didn't want to pay for euro for the self-guided tour. I just wanted to sit in the cathedral for the quiet and solitude. I got the impression no one did that. I had done it at the first monastery, maybe somewhere else, and she let me sit in the quiet and solitude there for a while. It was peaceful and cool. Afterwards, I went to Ore das Tartas, a bar on the other side of the square, to get something to eat, to drink, to eat and drink a little more and to watch Australia beat Brazil in the Women's World Cup. Yes! Oh, uh, um, I think I surprised some of the locals with my raucous support for the Australian team that night. It was a good evening. Marlene caught up with me at the bar and as we walked back to the Adelberge, she told me that Arno's Camino was over. He had messaged her and said that he had walked too far in such a short time and damaged the tendons in his legs so much that he couldn't walk. He had to stop 20 kilometres short of Santiago and catch a bus to the hospital. Later, back at the Albergue, we met Evie, a German woman who was reinventing her life after completing an engineering degree or something like that, to be a chef specialising in Ayurvedic cooking. I had actually met her before in Kalunga when she was walking with John. I don't remember what she said happened such that she was walking on her own, only that John was very ill. She was funny, but she didn't get my joke about being related. Your name is Evie and women tend to call me Stevie. We could be related. Hmm. Look at your funny red nose.